welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 111 for Monday, October 19th, 2020. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. And if you folks at home would like to hear Johnny and I talk about the pain bow, you're like, what's that? It's from Borderlands 3. You'll have to listen to the render distance where we talk about Borderlands 3, Hades, uh, and Avatar The Last Airbender and some very fun additions to Johnny's new home office. So check out the render distance at patreon.com, The Spawn Chunks. It's the extra podcast that we give out to our patrons because they're awesome. They certainly are. And I, I cannot say the number 111 without thinking of Lord of the Rings right at the start when he's celebrating his 111th birthday. <laughs> I always feel like slurring my way through that number. Anyway, yeah. uh, here we are, episode 111. Joel, what have you been up to in Minecraft this week? I have built a whopping single staircase. Uh, I, I say that uh, it actually took me several hours to do because uh -huh. I did some landscaping as well. But I, I did a, a stream where I was tackling the uh, other side of the stone bridge that I talked about on stream on the podcast last week. And uh, I was trying to make it a more natural looking staircase to try and curve it up a hill. Uh, obviously not the easiest thing to do in Minecraft. I'm not super happy with it. I might return to it. But... The alternative was to make a very straight looking like 90 degree staircase that went up four steps and then turned left and went yeah, up more, yeah, yeah. four steps. And I was like, nah, I don't know if I want it to be that refined. Uh, and I was really happy with some of the other stuff that I did around it, like using brown concrete powder, podzole, uh, creating a custom root, you know, with a, a spruce tree and some dark oak and just trying to make it look like it was a little bit more beaten into the hill and, and, and a, a stone staircase that had seen some wear and tear. And I might have, I think my mistake might have been that I went overboard with too many different textures. And so it just kind of looks like gobbledygook when you look at it. You don't really see the staircase. Uh, it functions when you walk up it, you don't hit any blocks. You don't have to jump at all when you're going up the hill. Um, and that, so that was not a failed experiment, but it's one of those things where, where I do enjoy doing this, where I feel like I have enough Minecraft experience where I can just design from the hip live on stream yeah. and not really have a big plan. Just like, well, I know how to build a staircase and we'll just kind of go with whatever textures I've got in these shulker boxes and we'll figure it out from there. And it did, it did work fairly well. Um, but I, I just, it just doesn't meet my high bar that I set for myself a lot of the times. Uh, on the flip side, I did something that I picked up from playing modded Minecraft, which was in the new biomes in the uh, all the fabric mod that I, you know, was telling people about a few weeks ago the thing that i noticed most about the new biomes is that they had stuff everywhere on the surface so think flowers bushes tall grass anything like that and there was just so much of it everywhere and it really added a lot of life to the biomes compared to the normal minecraft biomes. Mm -hmm. yeah and so what i did was i was doing an experiment where i was trying to not hide but trying to give this hillside that you walk along uh, on the road a little bit more life and have it feel like something that was just not quite default Minecraft. And so I just went in with grass and ferns and made everything too high and covered the entire embankment of the river. It looks amazing. Mm -hmm. it, it really takes the blocky, chunky step-by-step -step down to the river out of Minecraft and makes it feel way more realistic as much as Minecraft can be realistic. Yeah. And so it was a lot of work, but I'm definitely going to be employing the idea elsewhere. It's funny how like my taste in that has evolved a little bit because when I started playing Minecraft and I got into bits and pieces of modded on the side within my first year of playing Minecraft on PC, I think I kind of found myself put off by that over detailed approach to 
uh, biome generation because it fi kind of felt like all of the work was being done for me to a certain extent and I just wanted like a flat, a blank canvas that I could impress my own sort of level of detail on. But I, going back to it now, I do really like the way that some uh, biome generation mods add yeah, stuff like moorland and, and heathland, the sort of open grassy sort of areas where naturally there would be shrubs and bushes and all kinds of plants just growing wild everywhere. Whereas in vanilla Minecraft, what you end up with is, yeah, a field full of grass, maybe a few sunflowers, you know? So I think it it actually makes a lot of sense for biomes to be more decorated with that stuff. And if it's something players can do, then that's great. Enhancing the area that way seems like a, a sensible and straightforward thing to do if you want to make the area look a bit more natural. Yeah, the one thing that we were um, kind of wishing for in the chat, because we were talking about modded and where the idea came from, and the idea was like, boy, do we wish we had like cattails, you know, yeah. or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. reeds in, in Minecraft that would come out of the water that you could um, waterlog. Uh, the closest thing we could do was uh, bamboo and then putting string on top of it to restrict it to specific heights. Mm -hmm. um, cool thing there is that it, it's, it's 3D anyway, uh, in terms of the texture, unlike sugarcane and you can get it taller than sugarcane. So if you want it to be four or five blocks high to be able to be seen from a distance, then it works. The issue is that it doesn't necessarily match um, river biomes yeah. and, and, and plains biomes. It's still a pretty bright green. Uh, I've toned down my sugarcane texture to be something a little bit closer to what real sugarcane would look like. It's still very bright. Um, but I feel like bamboo, one of the reasons why it's that bright, because it looks more at home in a jungle biome. Yeah, obviously. yeah. For sure. Um, speaking of changes to biomes and and uh, you know modifying a few existing biomes, I have had my hand at reproducing a dripstone cave in 1.16 in kind of the same way that I did the lush cave last week, um, and I ended up going with using um, granite blocks, walls, and then jungle fences on top if I wanted to taper it to more of a point, which doesn't look perfect oh, yeah. by any stretch, but. Um, I'm I'm starting to come around to the look of the dripstone cave stalagmites and stalactites more uh, from the screenshots they've had because for a start with walls it's not as easy as you think because of how they connect to each other so you have to have them kind of diagonally from each other if you don't want them to all stick together and clump together at the bottom at which point they do very much look like walls like the right angles become really obvious at that mm -hmm. stage um but yeah I, I think despite how jumbled and we've you know i referred to them last week or, or the week before as like looking like a cluster of pencils I do still think it adds a lot to the cave environment and the fact that they can be such different heights and so you end up with some slightly smaller ones that are just on the cave floor instead of reaching up for the ceiling. I think those could actually look quite good. Um, I think it's difficult to build that kind of contrast in the current Minecraft scenery without making a massive cavern which is not what i wanted to do because this is all going underneath my museum build and i wanted to make sure that i wasn't using up all of the space down there in case i wanted to build a basement onto a neighboring room so you know i made a, a secret entrance that leads down to it which i was quite happy with but the rest of it is just kind of a space i was able to hollow out in about half an hour using a beacon and then decorating that and i've done what i can with trying to make the um, the local water levels part of it. So I've got like a, a little lake that has a waterfall leading down to another lake. And I think that looks quite good. And so I'm, that's, I think one of the features I'm look, most looking forward to from the Caves and Cliffs update now is the idea of these kind of localized water levels and caves that you can travel around by boat and by waterfall. Um, 
And yeah, like, like you, I'm not entirely happy with the way it looks, but I don't think I can do much more with the resources that we have already. I think that was something that I did find so frustrating this weekend was was the hitting that wall of like, ah, I really want to do this, but it's just not possible. Yeah. Like you, just, you, you go in there with that positive attitude of everything is going to be, I could build anything in Minecraft. And then you kind of do something like what you're doing. Once you get into like sub block stuff, you like, you realize how few colors there are and how yeah. the colors that exist, like jungle, wood and granite, they sort of go together, but they don't. And it, it's like, it still looks very much like a wooden fence on top of a stone wall. Sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's a scale thing, I think really. And yeah. it's the kind of thing that had I, infinite you know amount of space to work with here or at least like the full span of the underground uh and and i, I was doing this as more of like a base project than i was just like a a footnote in what is a larger project with this museum i'm building i think i would probably have a better run at it and probably do it over like a couple of weeks as opposed to just like a day's worth of digging um and then i think i can make it look quite good with just the granite and the the walls and so forth but yeah i think it's it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt the dripstone cave idea to different sizes of caves with what i now have seen of you know what that looks like in close quarters all of the screenshots of dripstone caves we've seen have been quite expansive but from what i understand what they were saying at minecraft live that doesn't seem to be the only places we'll find them we'll find them in in tighter quarters as well so it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that works out. Um, outside of that, in Skyblock, I've been farming bees so that I can farm magma cubes, so that I can get magma blocks, so that I can farm zombie pigmen, so I can get more gold, so I can cure zombified villagers. The <laughs> the progression, the, the kind of series of hoops I have to jump through to get certain results in Skyblock is now rearing its ugly head. Uh, but I managed to get... So a wait a minute. Back up. Back. You're, you're, you're breeding bees to get magma? Um, I, I, I've got a design for a magma cube farm that is in a basalt delta, and to limit the height magma cubes can jump, I found the most uh, effective thing to do is to use honey blocks, because they, right. uh, it, it's actually kind of odd, because it's not as consistent as you might hope. There is a border around the edge of a honey block from which you can get a full jump height, and that applies to both players and mobs, so if the mob jumps like a magma cube does, and it happens to have like its hitbox on one of these like borders around the outside then they can still jump pretty high but i've tested it in creative a couple of times and it has um <laughs> it has led to the magma cubes not jumping as high which is mainly just so they don't jump out of the farm altogether and hit me on the face and knock me into the void but um yeah the the idea is to limit their jump height using honey blocks and uh, that leads to me farming magma cream. And there's a lot of people in my comments now telling me, why don't you just build a blaze farm? And I'm saying, just building a blaze farm is more difficult than you think, especially in a, mm -hmm. a map that doesn't have a blaze spawner. But it's it's fun. I, I, I like... Um, it, it almost reminds me of modded Minecraft in a way, this sort of like more linear progression of things you have to do. You can see the trajectory of what you need to do. And there is no alternative. There is no go out and harvest a bunch of magma blocks from the landscape uh so right so it's uh it's it's a pretty straightforward thing and in skyblock affords me the opportunity to get a magma cube farm together which would take me potentially weeks on vanilla minecraft because of having to create a perimeter in a basalt delta so that spawning there could be efficient in this case i'm just building it at the bottom of the world in a void biome with uh basalt delta particles falling around me as i go and if it's anything like the slime farm i've already built in skyblock it's going to be uh, yeah, pretty pretty efficient from what I can tell. So I'm looking forward to uh, to that coming together. 
the uh, the last piece of news I have this week is that thanks to folks at NVIDIA, um, who have not sponsored this podcast but are going to be sponsoring some videos, uh, they've sent me an RTX 3080, which I now have in my machine uh, temporarily uh, before it goes back to a more permanent home. But um, I'm stepping back into Minecraft RTX on Bedrock Edition in 4K at 60 FPS with the highest possible render distance. And I'm making a... Um, more of like a traditional survival let's play because a lot of the videos out there for Minecraft RTX have really been showcase videos of just, you know, maps that have already been created by marketplace creators and so forth with RTX in mind. And I don't know if many people have really taken a look at what it's like to play survival with RTX graphics. And so I'm giving it a go. And I can already tell you that going into a forest <laughs> with like the, the, the changes that it makes to lighting is a completely different experience. It's really quite exciting. Um, like walking into a forest and not being able to see everything around you by placing one torch is, it's a lot. It, it actually makes right. walking in the dark scary again. And you want to spend more time in the open because there is natural moonlight bouncing off the grass and you can see your surroundings. But yeah, I'm excited right. for this series. I think more than I've been to start a, a new series for a while because yeah, it's only going to be a mini series, just a few episodes, but I'm going to try and do the full survival progression, which means going to the nether and the end uh, and, and fighting the dragon with, <laughs> with RTX graphics. It's going to be interesting, but we'll see how it all works out. And I'm looking oh, forward man. to the whole thing. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how much of a blend that's going to be into the, into the dark sky. You know, like how, how, how hard is it going to be able to see that, that dragon as it flies around? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Apparently, the latest RTX beta has improved the way graphics were working in the nether and the end. So... It should be a little bit more adjusted now. Plus, it is still, I believe, 116. So we should have like extra nether biomes and all of the extra stuff that goes on in the nether enhanced by realistic lighting. And yeah, I can't wait. I'm I'm planning on doing a couple of builds, maybe even a time lapse or two. And yeah, I'm looking forward to just playing around with the lighting effects and seeing what I can achieve. From what I remember from videos from yourself and, and other um, content creators that I've seen, just either walking around existing maps or in some cases, um, I know Iskal85 built something in, in RTX. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just, it really did change the way that you approached a build because you were just always thinking about the light and yeah. how it's going to look yeah. as opposed to what we tend to focus on on this show, which is the block texture. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it matters. You know. Uh, uh, I think I. I don't quote me on this. I even think that there might have been diorite in 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 Iskal 85's build because with all the lighting, it didn't really matter as much. It actually looked good in low light because you couldn't see the bird poopy texture that yeah. bugs him so much mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It just it it you know when when light um, obscures things and you have like you know um, occlusion happening and it just it really kind of changes your block choices and your palette choices and stuff and i i really you know the thing that excites me the most is I, i'm sure it does with most players with rtx is the idea of being able to put like uh, stained glass in front of different things and change the way that the light comes in different colors and, yes yeah, and yeah whatnot i just that that kind of stuff is is really exciting but that's awesome dude like for thanks congrats on the the rtx 3080 like that's going to be an awesome series yeah i feel kind of bad because i've got one of those now and everyone's like we can't even buy them how do you how did you get one i'm like well i kind of know a couple of people at nvidia um well because you work really hard at doing what you do as well and before i forget when when is the the first video coming out so people know uh it's gonna be on wednesday it's gonna be wednesday thursday friday this week is gonna be cool. probably the start of the survival you know the grind you know looking for diamonds that kind of stuff 
Um, the episodes are going to be quite condensed. I'm going to try and pack a lot of stuff into an individual episode because that way, maybe end of episode two, beginning of episode three, we can spend a lot of time in the nether and take a look at what it's like there. And then I think it's going to come back at another point for episodes four and five. And then we're probably going to go to the end, complete the survival progression, maybe get some elytra, fly around a world in RTX, see what that's like. Um, nice. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. But starting this Wednesday, so uh, definitely check it out. Let's move on to the news, though, because we have a fair amount to cover here, starting with Minecraft Java Edition 1.16.4 Pre-1. This was mentioned briefly last week, but we have a Pre-1 snapshot for it now, which introduces a new user interface, the Social Interactions screen. This lets you disable chatting with certain players, hiding any messages you receive from them, opening it with a configurable key binding, which is P by default, and hidden players remain hidden until they leave and rejoin the server. Um, There are technical changes in this snapshot uh, to network protocols, not entirely sure what that involves, but probably not something that the majority of us need to worry about. And a couple of crash logs uh, now reporting more information if a server crashes due to poor performance. There's also a couple of fixed bugs, including a change to netherite legging textures and a deadlock that was reached in WorldGen that was causing a server to crash. Uh, Moving on, we have a spooky season event basically coming to a whole range of of Minecraft products. Starting off with the the article at Minecraft.net actually has links to uh, templates for masks, pumpkin stencils, and stuff like that if folks are still planning to celebrate Halloween with, of course, the reminder that we should trick or treat responsibly this year and make sure social distancing is observed and all that kind of stuff, especially if you're, you know, just going to be hanging around at home. It could be nice to still have a bit of a Halloween party. And a Halloween theme is taking over the Minecraft marketplace on Bedrock Edition with some free skin packs and character creator items as well as, I'm sure, some highlighted maps from Marketplace creators about Halloween and fall time in general. And Minecraft Dungeons is getting a spooky fall event between October 26th and November 3rd. This includes time-limited seasonal trials, which bring supernaturally tricky challenges and other otherworldly rewards. There are exclusive gear and weapons, and a night mode, which provides an even more challenging way to play the game. Minecraft Earth is also celebrating with a Boo Spooky event, uh, introducing new challenges, cosmetic items, and the the uh, witches are being added to the game for the first time, along with Viola witches. There's a great screenshot of that on the Minecraft.net article. I recommend checking that out. We might have it in our show notes as well. Last but not least, Minecraft Builders and Biomes, the uh, board game that was released, um, I think, earlier this year or late last year, uh, has now released its first expansion, Farmer's Market. And quote from the Minecraft.net article here, This agrarian edition lets you grow crops, use them to trade with villagers, and secure unique items with powerful abilities to create the winning biome. This pack introduces a new marketplace board, 16 building tiles, 18 item tiles, some farmland structures, vegetable tokens, 6 farm-themed skins, and more. The aforementioned farm-themed skins are also available digitally as a free skin pack on the Minecraft Marketplace for Bedrock Edition and can be downloaded from the Minecraft.net article we've linked in our show notes if you want to use them in Java Edition. Uh, Builders and Biomes Farmer's Market is already available worldwide. It was released in Europe on October 1st and came to the rest of the world on October 15th. I, hmm, just to kind of touch on the 116.4 uh social interaction screen yeah i'm all for it the only thing that confused me and this could just be the marketing language is that if a player resets when i rejoin or when they rejoin a server after i've muted them 
generally in my experience online, if I've muted someone, I never want to hear from them again. Uh huh. Yeah. So I find that a little bit strange, like especially if you're talking about it from a point of view of protecting younger players from potential, you know, either inappropriate or, you know, trolling and harassment online. If a younger player says, mm, this this person is making me un feel uncomfortable, I want to no longer hear from them. The fact that they have to then do that every time they log into that server, I, I don't know how much of, of, of a problem that solves. Yeah, it's it's um, a difficult balance to strike, really. But I imagine the majority of it is just, you know, wanting to mute somebody, you know, who is being offensive or whatever at that moment. And I don't know, maybe they chill out next time they're online or maybe, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be the kind of thing where anybody would notice that they'd been muted and then relog in order for their chat messages to show up again. You know, so I think I think it right. may just be a case for like, you know, wanting players to have that option when they're playing on public servers. Um, I don't I don't think anybody's really going to find ways around that that are going to be a problem for people. And honestly, if a player has multiple negative interactions with one person on a server, then chances are they're not going to want to play on that server anyway. Um, right. Yeah. The solution there becomes just find a better server. Yeah, yeah, really. And and I think, you know, it might be the case that for from to take an example more from our own experience, if you're streaming on a multiplayer server and, you know, people are spamming the chat with messages that you don't want to see at that particular moment because it's disruptive to your stream, for a start there is still the option to turn chat off entirely if you don't want to hear from anybody, the chat just won't show up on your screen. Um, right. But if you wanted to mute somebody in particular because they were trying to, you know, spam in the chat just to get your attention unnecessarily because you were streaming, then you can mute that person specifically. And, you know, maybe if they're not watching your stream and they don't know you've muted them, then they don't know to relog and switch back on. I don't know. I'm not I'm not yeah. certain quite how that would work, but it would be nice if there was a maybe a toggleable option to manage those and then, you know, either mute somebody temporarily or permanently, maybe like a timed thing or something like that. But yeah. it remains to be seen how they intend for this to be used. I imagine probably just for one-off occasions where players feel uncomfortable in that moment talking to somebody who is uh, not being the nicest on a public server. I know that um, Dilkin7 in our chat is saying like, you know, um, or I guess it was the Crimson Crafter, mostly, you know, the servers I've been playing on are being pretty chill. I also have that experience, but I also understand that I have a confirmation bias of, of the community that I'm parts of, like the different communities within Minecraft that I'm part of all seem to be the very chill adult, like it's a fairly normal social interaction as far as I've been experiencing. But I've watched other people that do like community streams or like Twitch sub stream servers and stuff. And it is chaos. Mm -hmm. And so I know that there's there's having more tools is better than less tools, as I, I guess the bottom line at the at the end of the day. And and I actually forgot about the 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 one that you mentioned where like there's now previous to this version, there were tools in chat already for, you know, muting certain players or or there's even like slow chat and there's a couple of other things that they implemented as well a couple of, of beats ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, in, there are... As far as the chat interface. Accessibility yeah. settings now that allow you to control the speed of chat and stuff. So that does mm -hmm. that does help quite a lot if you... Uh, if, if it's just a reading speed thing as well, that can be very, very helpful. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I, the only thing I was thinking of is just don't hide players during an important PvP match, <laughs> you know? <laughs> if, there's, uh, <laughs> if, the, if there's messages need to be exchanged or anything like that. I think it's... It's just going to be, you know, useful for players who find themselves the target of trolling, really. Mm -hmm. um, 
outside of that, we have this uh, spooky event. I, I'm definitely going to be diving back into Minecraft Dungeons to see what the seasonal event brings for that. We, we're kind of used to, you know, vanilla Minecraft, not a huge amount happens at seasonal holidays. You get, like, you know, your, present, your, your chests look like presents for a couple of days around Christmas, and then occasionally around Halloween, mobs turn up with pumpkins on their heads that they don't normally... Um, but with Minecraft Dungeons, this is kind of the first time it's been around for long enough to celebrate these kind of seasonal events, and I think it's good that they're taking advantage of that, um, because I feel like events like this do keep a game alive to a certain extent, thinking of, you know, MMOs and stuff like that. They will typically have seasonal events just to kind of give players some exclusive gear and, you know, stuff for logging in on a particular day and that kind of stuff. And the screenshots of it look genuinely quite frightening. There's a bit of a Five Nights at Freddy's look to it almost. Um, and yeah, the the night mode difficulty sounds interesting. If it's based on uh, night in multiplayer, where if a player is KO'd and isn't revived beyond a certain time, uh, more mobs just start spawning, so it's more difficult to pick them up. And it kind of leads usually to the entire party getting wiped out by phantoms once a countdown timer runs out. Um, I'm going to assume that the phantoms aren't part of night mode and they would just have like randomly spawning extra, you know, skeletons and spiders and zombies and some of the, the lower level mobs that are just going to make it a little bit more difficult to progress, but uh, still still doable, hopefully. Um, it sounds interesting. I'm, I'm going to try and dive back into Minecraft Dungeons around Halloween and maybe do a bonus stream of that and see what that's like. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. And I, I need to pick up my socks and get back into Minecraft Dungeons. I do really enjoy it, and I just haven't had the... the it just hasn't kind of floated to the top of my mind when I want to stream something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, or even just play something different on my own. And uh, I like the idea of these kind of events, because I was one of those people that really enjoyed... Uh, like, there was Oktoberfest in World of Warcraft, and there was... Um, there was Halloween stuff where you could have like a witch's hat and, and it was really, it's kind of silly fun. And it does kind of like, if you're like a hardcore RP player in, in world of Warcraft, it kind of took you out of it a little bit, but it was kind of funny to go into some big city like Stormwind and see like dozens and dozens of people walking around with like a pointed witch hat on. Yeah. But back when I used to play <laughs> destiny one, uh, festival of the lost was the destiny Halloween event. And they usually gave out masks of some of the NPCs and stuff. So yeah, you could walk around, uh, dressed as like the villain from the Taken King arc and there's yeah a bunch of really cool stuff that they can do with that so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how Minecraft Dungeons uh, brings a take on it and good that they're thinking about developing stuff like that outside of the realm of you know just DLC packs and stuff like that it seems to me this is just going to be a free update available for everybody and it's just going to throw in a a week's worth of you know extra stuff that you can get here and there so that should be uh, should be pretty fun. Um, I guess Builders and Biomes seems like a fun thing to get an expansion for. Uh, it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of some of the more classic European board games like Carcassonne, where you end up with a base game that's pretty solid and has a decent amount of replay value, and then add-ons that just add different aspects. Like Carcassonne has one that I think is like, you know, you can add inns and cathedrals to your towns and rivers and that kind of stuff. And so Builders and Biomes seems to be taking a leaf out of some of the other books that have just incorporated little um little mechanics here and there but from minecraft of course you have this whole breadth of stuff that you can pull from different aspects of the game like redstone as far as i know isn't a big thing in <laughs> builders and biomes but it could be if you have you know redstone contraptions that you can make that add to the points you score when you complete tiles and that kind of stuff i've only ever played builders and biomes once or twice and living on my own right now kind of makes it tricky because uh, it's definitely mm -hmm. not a single player game but um yeah i'd like to check out this expansion once i have uh, more opportunity to play games with people and i'm sure for 
for households and folks who like to play the game more regularly it's going to be fun to pick up an expansion maybe even as a christmas present this year or something like that could be a an easy win i think yeah and it's nice that they're um keeping up with it like one of the ways for things like this to fall by the wayside is to not update it like yeah, just kind of yeah, like yeah. keep on ex hoping more people notice the the base game but when it starts to expand and it provides more replayability for the people that like it it probably also you know expands uh i mean obviously pandemic aside it, it expands the number of people they might want to bring over to introduce to the game if they are like oh well i didn't i i was playing this a lot i've kind of played it to death but now that there's a new um, expansion pack for it i'm going to get back into it and this might you know introduce other people to the game uh do, has there been any kind of like expansion to the number of people that can play it at once with the expansion or is it just like the I, just like a different skill set yeah i don't i don't really know i don't think it's for more than four players still uh it, it gives you right. different player tokens which yeah sort of different skins for the player as it were but it didn't say anything about being able to add like two more players into the mix and uh, with, mm. the, with the game kind of having four sides to it because the layout is kind of in a square it kind of i think it, it makes right. sense to keep it as four players in a way it sort of works for the the numbering system of minecraft stuff as well with mm -hmm. everything being okay, divisible cool. by two and so forth but i yeah. mean all, all that i know about it is what you've you know mentioned on the podcast and what we've researched for for the show so i, I don't know about like i, I don't have any first-hand experience playing the games so that's why I have. yeah uh eagle-eyed people may even have spotted the builders and biomes uh expansion on the table when i think Jens was talking about his um kind of like in-house uh guide to minecraft that he he shares with employees i think because because hmm. there's that running joke about him really enjoying board games um in I, the cartoons yeah yeah and i i think he had the uh, the builders and biomes expansion on the table and at that point i think it would already been released a little while ago but this is the first time it's really been mentioned kind of front and center as news on minecraft.net so good to see that's uh that's come out at last and is going to be available to people who want to play it nice well, moving on into listener email in our chunk mail section, uh, we have an email from Julia up first. Uh, it is going to be an excerpt. Uh, I think what I'll do is I'll publish the full email on the uh, spawnchunks.com uh, where you can read the, the the whole thing. It was a really long email, uh, which obviously, and, and Julia even said this is too long to read on the show, I know, but uh, it, it included some really cool feedback about the glow squid and bioluminescence. So I wanted to make sure we got to it on the show, at least in part. Uh, if you would like to have your email read right on the show, uh, send it to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And the email from Julia, Julia is as follows. Greetings, Johnny and Joel. I actually just started listening to your guys' podcast very recently, and I love it. It's really nice for my 30-minute commute to school. Driving can be so lonely. So I listen for about an hour every day, and now I really look forward to driving to and from school. I have some ideas on features for Minecraft in the Caves and Cliffs update. I believe that the glow squid is inspired by their real-life firefly squid. Firefly squid are bioluminescent, I watched part of a nature documentary about them, uh, which is why I love them so much, and voted, voted for the glow squid. A few times a year, all the firefly squid come to the ocean's surface at night around the same time. This is fairly unusual, as the squid are deep ocean creatures, and surfacing requires adjusting to pressure changes. This event is beautiful, and as you can, as you can see, thousands of teeny blue glowing lights around the ocean's surface. This happens in real life in Japan, specifically in Taramara Bay, I've, I've included some photos and we'll have the photos published on the show notes as well. They're really, really cool. Um, I think it would be super amazing if Mojang incorporated bioluminescence and surface migration with the glow squid in Minecraft. First, it would make uh, attaining the glow squid a lot easier. 
you could capture it when it comes up to, uh, and killing it for drops would be easier as well. I would also, uh, it would also be beautiful. My idea is that it would correspond with the phases of the moon. Something I barely ever noticed until I was researching slimes is that the Minecraft moon actually has phases. The phases do pretty much nothing except correspond with slime spawning in swamps. I think maybe the chance of a glow squid spawning on the surface could be tied to every new moon above a deep ocean or something like that. The event would be fairly rare and it would be breathtaking to be rowing across the vast oceans in Minecraft and suddenly have billions of mesmerizing blue lights light up the surface in vast stretches around you. I also find the glow squid for some reason reminds me of a cuttlefish. They are fairly closely related to squid, which would be also very fun uh, in addition to the game. Cuttlefish skin changes color and has these strange animations they use to hypnotize their prey. The glow squid could also have this uh, since Minecraft has been adding in more animations. The glow squid, excuse me, the glow squid skin, say that five times fast. The glow squid skin could move and change uh, at times like a cuttlefish. Uh, do, doing things like maybe hypnotizing uh, to affect fish, the player, or the drowned, or something like you were talking about on last week's episode with just an animation. Maybe the squid would also kill the fish if they lured it too close. Julia, a Minecraft lover. And again, thanks so much for the uh, epic email, Julia. We'll have it on the, the show notes on spawnchunks.com, and I'll include the really cool pictures of the um what was it called the firefly squid uh and the surfacing in japan very very cool stuff yeah one of those just got shared in our chat on discord as well people are on it today finding the pictures that uh, we've already got in the show notes um and yeah it's it's funny because the phases of the moon already have an effect on the game in terms of local difficulty which is what causes uh, the increase of slimes in swamps during a full moon. Typically you find tougher mobs appearing during a full moon and slimes are one of the main things that are affected by that. It's the kind of thing that you don't notice as much uh, typically because you're not worried too much. You're not really observing what the mobs are like when they're around you. You're just like, oh no, a skeleton, I will kill it or run away. Uh, but I think, yeah, it, it is more common to find skeletons wearing like, you know, full enchanted gold armor and stuff on a on a full moon. Um yeah, so I, I really like the idea of tying it to uh, to phases of the moon and also the idea that you can have um, particle effects to add that luminescent effect to the glow squid instead of having it be dynamic lighting. I think it'd be really fun to have, you know, points of light around the squid that maybe kind of like drift up through the water and especially if particles could then be moved through blocks like if if you could end up concealing a glow squid behind a wall for some easy atmospheric effects in a cave or something like that or to draw people's attention to a certain area then the glow squid could be hypnotizing people without even them seeing it uh full in the face so yeah i think that'd be a um a really nice way of handling it i think if we want the glow squid to look like something special instead of just a squid that looks a little bit different when you get up close i think particle effects might be a good workaround yeah, I agree. And uh, bioluminescence, I think, is just a really cool idea uh, for Minecraft, especially if you want to encourage players to adventure more at nighttime when this is going to look cooler than it would during the day uh, and not just sleep through the night as a lot of players do because they're like, meh, it just it's too much of a pain in the butt. So if it gives you more of a reason to go out, like what if the glow squid only appeared at night? What if you can't get them during the day? You know, like if they just, they're just not around, you know, that kind of stuff could be, could be interesting as well. Now they've done so much with, um, 
particles in the nether update thinking mostly about like crimson forests and basalt deltas yeah i think even just i mean in addition to the glow squid mob just having bioluminescent particles go by your you know your screen when you're in a deep ocean would just be neat you don't even have to see what they're coming from i think it would just add that level of like oh this is new and different you know and maybe encourage people to do more you know build bases build underwater bubble and like do all that kind of stuff down there that could be kind of fun too um I knew that the Minecraft mood had phases, but uh, I thought it was just aesthetic. I didn't realize it actually had the effect on uh, on mobs. I remember watching you and Python play uh, like a Blood Moon mob, uh, where where it really did amp up the the number of bad guys that would spawn. Um, but I didn't know that that was actually inspired by a more subtle mechanic in the game. Yes, uh, Moon phase, yeah, does seem to affect a couple of things, and uh, the moon doesn't even have to be in the sky for this to take effect I'm, I'm looking at this on the the minecraft wiki it um the the phase of the moon has effects on the spawning of slimes in swamp biomes and contributes to the calculation of regional difficulty the fuller the moon is the greater the effect so yeah it does actually hmm. factor that in uh as like a calculation and um yeah i, I i'm not going to read like the full equations because the uh, the minecraft wiki has done a fair amount of like research on this over the years and has come up with the exact kind of calculation that happens based on regional difficulty but yeah it's it's a a really neat mechanic a very subtle way of of introducing that stuff and yeah the blood moon mod was something that just turned that up to 11 <laughs> and it was probably yeah. not something i would want to see in, implemented in the game because yeah there were mobs I think mobs even spawned like regardless of light level and stuff during that, so that was a little bit too hectic for me. But yeah, it was uh, it's it's certainly a fun aspect of the game, and would be cool to see it tied to things other than hostile mob spawning. I think. I think too that a moon like tying the the squid to the moon, and even even calling it a moon squid, it's, it might even be a better name than glow squid. You know, just giving it that kind of like lunar tie uh i think it's just a really really cool idea so thanks again for the, the fantastic email julia and uh, we'll have the whole thing up on on the uh the spawnchunks.com definitely uh moving on we have a second email here this one comes in from crimson kaiju and is also related to the glow squid but on a slightly more slimy tack uh hey joel and johnny after hearing your discussion about the glow squid on episode 110 i was struck thinking about how it could please both the technical community and the people who want more ambience I thought that maybe the glow squid could have some sort of semi-clear slimy film over its body that the player could scoop up in a bucket. This slime could flow similar to lava, slowing the player down and flowing very slowly in the overworld. But unlike lava, it would not allow the player to float, which could make it useful for traps. Then if placed in the nether, it would act like water does in the overworld and allow for item transportation, which would fill a role similar to the nether goop that you suggested back in episode 89. I also thought the slime would regrow on the glow squid over time, similar to how sheep regrow their wool when they eat, and would give players a reason to keep the squid around and not just immediately kill it for some sort of drop. Finally, maybe the slime could be collected in a glass bottle and be part of a crafting recipe for a new light source, as it seems that's what everyone is hoping for. Thank you for the super amazing podcast, and I can't wait for every Monday to hear the next episode. Crimson Kaiju. Thank you so much for the email. As we all know, I am 100% on board for Nether Goop. And <laughs> this is true. Agreeing with me, agreeing with me, and even shouting out the episode in which we we mentioned it uh, is in no way a guarantee to get yourself uh, on the podcast. However, I confess to nothing. Uh, <laughs> I really like the idea of harvesting something from the glow squid rather than just insta gibbing it and then getting their drops, because uh, I think that that seems to be 
like when I watch a new player, you know, not a new player, but a player playing Minecraft for like the a thousandth time that they've restarted the world, and they just walk around killing everything. And I just kind of think like this is kind of morbid, you know? Like it's it's where it's like, oh, hey, look a cow, death, you know? Like it's just it, it, I like the idea of a new mob in the game that does something like you know give you wool like it's better to shear a sheep and get more wool from it than it is to kill the sheep get the two blocks of wool and the one mutton unless you absolutely have to and I, I like the idea of the squid being something that you have to cultivate and farm and I think it also speaks to you know the the message that Mojang has about like conservation and oceans and like all that kind of stuff that they want to stay on the on the green side of I think it's a neat idea especially if we're talking about this firefly squid being an inspiration for it i imagine that they are like relatively rare and they're deep ocean uh creatures so we don't know for certain like what the population is going to be probably but yeah i think i think whenever mojang adds a mob to the game now they are more concerned about if it's a real world animal then it should be something that the player either domesticates in the way that we do to kind of simulate the fact that that's an aspect of real life or preserves in the case of things like turtles axolotls that kind of stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um yeah. with regards to the mechanics crimson kaiju was suggesting uh i'm not entirely sure it's going to be easy to scoop something up in a bucket while you're swimming because basically anytime you try and do that now you get a bucket of water uh, anybody who's tried to catch fish uh, in a bucket in Minecraft probably understands that it's a little bit more difficult than you think because uh, mm -hmm. you have to get a bucket of water and then get a bucket of fish and so if you're trying to click on something and you're just scooping water all the time that could be a little frustrating but I like the um, I like the idea of bottling it and it being a light source I'm not sure what the substance would be called though because you wouldn't want to get it confused with slime mobs the name slime is kind of already taken um, yeah so squid ooze maybe or phlogiston or something like that <laughs> um i looked it up on wikipedia and wikipedia says the substance inside of glow sticks is called bis 245 trichloro 6 pentyl oxycarbonyl phenyloxylate uh i think that exceeds the character <laughs> limit for minecraft um and yes i did practice that before we started the recording um wow. <laughs> it's uh yeah it, it's got some sort of trademarked name as well that i think is shorter but yeah it's it's very chemical and I don't think it's a natural substance in that way. So uh, much as having a bottle of glowing squid ooze could be akin to a glow stick, yeah, I'm not sure what you would call it. Uh, but outside of that, I think it's kind of a fun idea for it not to be a kill drop, but for it to be something that is a, a naturally harvested resource encouraging you to preserve the squid. It seems, uh, yeah, seems like a good idea to me. And we could tie this to what Julia said about squid surfacing. So maybe the only time that you can get the the glow slime uh, or glow ooze off of a glow squid is when it comes to the surface. Like maybe you just can't get it when it's in the water. You have to wait for that moon cycle for the squid to come to the surface. And then you have to like use the bucket on the surface squid as opposed to the as opposed to the maybe, the lower maybe. squid. I'm sort of imagining this being like bottling dragon's breath to a certain extent as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, it, it has to be done at a very specific time in the dragon's attack cycle. Um, so yeah, maybe you can do something similar in a passive sense with the glow squid. And, and, and if you used a bottle instead of uh, a bucket, then, I mean, bottles still do the same thing when you hold them, when you use them over water, they still scoop up water. Yeah. But it, with a bucket having to do that tricky mechanic already with like bucketing fish and like putting fish in the bucket if you're using a bottle on the squid at the surface that you'd have less of that mechanic overlap you'd have to have a different thing in your hand that yeah work. 
I'm not certain they plan on putting this much effort into implementing the Glow Squid, but then they did a decent amount of technical implementation with bees, which I know weren't a mob we voted in, yeah. but were certainly what seemed like a relatively small addition to the game turned out to be something quite significant. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I think it's it's worth consideration. So thank you once again, Crimson Kaiju, for that uh, that great email. Um, let's move on to our main topic for this week, and I thought it would be fun to have a admittedly non-technical discussion, because neither Joel nor I are really Java coders, so we're not entirely certain how the ramifications would really pan out, but we're talking about what it would mean if Mojang increases the height or depth of the world for this new cave generation. Now, in the Minecraft Live presentation, we did see a few players uh, going down into caverns, which now the players uh, in the community have sort of analyzed the footage they kind of determined were deeper than the natural generation of the world would currently allow unless you're under a mountain that is you know taller terrain then it seems like they have either simulated that using some kind of cave generation preset for the world or some sort of buffet world setting or alternatively that they plan on increasing the height of terrain to fit in some of these larger cave systems we also have the addition of the deep dark which is supposed to be in the lowest regions of the world and as we all know the lowest regions of the world are still pretty accessible so it seems like a very close by area to find a mob as dangerous as the new warden that's been announced so i thought we could talk about what exactly it would mean what the pros and cons are of minecraft actually having a different world height or at least a different terrain height because terrain height and world height are going to be very different things um but yeah i i've been thinking a lot about this joel but i want to let you go first because i probably have uh, a little bit of stuff to say having mulled this over a little bit so we touched on this briefly i think either during the live stream for minecraft live or on our big summary episode right afterwards and uh i think the thing that the first thing that i think about with this is that as someone that has uh, a server that's three and a half years old uh and don't have any real plans on resetting unless you know my the mystical minecraft 2 comes out um i just it i see chunk borders <laughs> in my sleep yeah. when i think about this kind of stuff as as a potential negative to it uh especially if it was mostly things that happen above ground and above sea level yes um but I know that we've mentioned something about the positive and negative in terms of the uh, X and Z axes uh, in Minecraft, but how the Y axis is only 0 to 256. There's no negative there. And so there's room for that. Uh, and so I would think that if they're going to expand, uh, the hints in the Cave and Cliffs update suggest to me that um, they might... They might expand in both directions. You might get extra Y height. There might be a, a passing of the 256 world height. There also might be something that delves into a negative, like a minus 10, a minus 100. Um, I would imagine, I don't know if they would go as far as to do minus 256. They might do minus 64. They might do minus 128. I don't know. I would imagine they would keep it in, in the, the realm of eights as they often do. Um, that to me seems like the most logical progression but then you run into the same problem of like well what if i'm digging through an old chunk at you know y12 and i enter into a new chunk and it's just void or like, yeah or vice versa i guess if you go down into negative 64 and you're going back into an old chunk is there just nothing there do they fill old chunks with just nothing or 
if they've got vertical biomes, which we know they've adjusted in, in um, the nether, is there a way to say, all right, well, yes, your chunks exist, but we've actually added two underneath them. Uh, even if it's just more of the same and you won't get the new biomes, but even if it's just to say like, well, yes, okay, your existing chunks, they're gonna get extended down to Y negative 128 or whatever that happens to be, it's just not gonna have any new content. It's just the easiest way for us to avoid pitfalls like that, pardon the terrible pun. Um, so I don't know, like I just, I like the idea of expanding the the world height or the build height, however you wanted to say it. So uh, run it by, explain to me like the difference between terrain height and world height, just so myself and listeners are clear. Yeah, so um, world height, when we refer to world height, I'm talking about the build limit of the world, which is at Y256 or 255, depending on where Minecraft measures the height of a block, because sometimes it's at the player's head, sometimes it's at the player's feet. Uh, but basically, if Bedrock generates at zero, then the world height is 255. If Bedrock generates at one, the world height is 256. Um, and that's basically the maximum value of a certain signed integer um which is basically like a a maximum amount that a certain set of binary code uh can have if you turn all of the binary code to ones instead of zeros then that's the maximum number um and outside of you know my rudimentary knowledge of it what that means is that you cannot build any higher than 256 blocks up in a world if you start at bedrock and the problem with increasing world height, uh, from what I can see, is that it means more data that the world has to render and save per chunk, right? So even if you add 10 blocks to the world height, if you consider that a chunk is a 16 by 16 area, uh, so that's, you know, um, what would that be, like 128? That's 16 times 16, right? My, my math yep. is terrible, but yes. Uh, <laughs> if it's uh, 100, like 128 block square, um, then... 256. Oh, it's two, 256. Okay, so, so adding 10 blocks to the world height on top of that um, gives you uh, 2,560 more blocks the world has to render per chunk. And at a 16 chunk render distance, that's like... You know that that's that's going to be potentially you know a few extra million blocks with just a ten block increase, um, right. which obviously right now, um, if you're if if your world is do, if if it's saving a sixteen by sixteen by two hundred and fifty six area of potentially full of blocks, you know that you know those are all blocks that the player can edit. That's still something like seventy one million blocks. <laughs> um, but if you increase the world height by 128 blocks, then that's half as many again. That's 30 million more blocks to load. And it's basically like everybody has just been forced to up their render distance by four chunks. Is, is the problem with increasing world height is that, you know, ultimately you are going to run into a ceiling, uh, again, no pun intended, at which point uh, it's really going to impact lower performance systems. And while obviously Minecraft is not like... They are, they are interested in moving the game forward and making progress with it. You are going to end up with, um, you know, people with older computers who aren't able to upgrade really feeling the performance pinch at a certain point, unless things can be a lot more optimized when it comes to chunk loading, which is where stuff like cubic chunks come in. And I'm fairly certain that Mojang has stated categorically they aren't interested in implementing cubic chunks, which would 
reduced the area of a chunk to 16 by 16 by 16 and then render distance would take effect vertically as well as laterally uh so so you'd end up with like if you were looking up at a skyscraper the top of it would disappear into the render distance because it wouldn't necessarily have loaded the chunks all the way up to the top whereas now it loads an entire chunk from bedrock to build height in a 16 by 16 area it's yeah i I said this wasn't going to get technical it feels technical talking about this stuff but this is just surface level and i honestly don't know what kind of impact it would have on the game to increase or decrease the world height without changing the way rendering works right now um but that's kind of the boring part of it out of the way like the performance side of things yes like could be a problem but if you ignore that entirely i feel like there are a lot of positives to the concept of increasing world height and increasing terrain height which is you know sea level right now is at y64 so it is basically one quarter of the way up the world is where you find the surface upon which most of the terrain of the world generates typically if terrain gets down below that uh, it only dips very slightly or it becomes an ocean and all of the you know plains biomes and mountains and savannas and everything will generate above y64 um and so from that we have 192 blocks worth of height and most biomes i think only top out at about y100 even if it's a mountain biome i think the only ones that ignore that are the shattered savannah biomes that look like you're playing on amplified where they can generate up as high as like y200 even then you have 50 blocks of height on which to build (laughs) if you want to so there is a lot of basically empty air there that players don't always take full advantage of and just adjusting the height of terrain a little bit maybe making the standard sea level uh, at y80 uh, really doesn't reduce the amount of space that you have in which to build on the surface and you know people building a tower to build height doesn't really happen very often because it looks absurdly out of proportion with everything else so you could still find another 16 blocks there in which to squeeze extra cave generation and really epic new stuff. Uh, It also leaves room for them to do really interesting stuff with local water levels, and you're not really reducing too much the height with which players can build on the surface at that stage. Um, You know, looking at some of the other positives there, that also gives players more room to develop larger underground structures and bases, Um, the other thing about changing terrain heights, and you'll notice this if you've ever messed around with custom world settings, especially back before 1.13 when custom world settings were, uh, changed for a bit, um, it changes ore distribution as well. If you stretch the terrain upwards, then you start to stretch the ore distribution upwards as well. So you're finding diamonds around Y20 instead of Y16 and below, um... And that could lead to the possibility of discovering rare materials sooner or in unusual areas. Um, They're talking about changing the strategy of mining in this next update with caves and cliffs. So it could be really interesting to see if a change in the way terrain is generated and the terrain height means that suddenly ore distribution gets shuffled around and players are finding stuff in different places. And we all have to kind of relearn a little bit of that. Okay, diamonds are only below Y16. You know, gold and redstone are only below a certain point. Lapis is only found below a certain point. And like a little bit of that dynamic changes, which means when players come back to the game, there's a little bit more to learn and they get a little bit more out of the caving experience learning the new rules. Um, Outside of that, we have mentioned it already, the deep dark, if it's meant to be the deepest biome in the world, 
uh, is going to have to generate underneath what we already know. Otherwise, why have we not been tripping all over it already? In in terms of the lore of Minecraft, but also in terms of Minecraft gameplay, um, instead of making it a new dimension, which is what other people are speculating, or you know, you're going to have players running into it when they're digging for early game resources, unless you somehow account for the deep dark being below what we already know of the world. And if you don't want to increase the height limit downwards, <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to deepen the world, uh, then that seems like the way to do it, is to move all of the rest of the terrain upwards and have the deep dark basically generate just above bedrock. Um, but yeah, to avoid players running into the warden when they're digging for early game resources, it kind of makes sense. Um, we also have the new mountains to consider, and the new mountains are a bit of an outlier, but what we saw in the screenshots that they provided of mountains during Minecraft Live, there were clouds drifting through basically the base of where this mountain structure was built. And I feel like this might be because their terrain generation was being tinkered with anyway, and that was more of a template that had just been imposed over an existing mountain, um, but they could still potentially be very tall and still allow the rest of the terrain to remain the same. So if you wanted more epic cave generation without shifting the world height around and the, the, the terrain height, then you could potentially fit some pretty epic cave systems underneath some of these mountains without having to shift sea level around too much. Yeah, I like the idea of them giving more... Uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like just the generation of mountains, more room. Yeah. Cause I think for mountains to feel epic, they're going to have to be bigger than the current Minecraft. We'll call them hills. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, when I built my mountain biome in the ski resort, that reaches Y220 on the highest right. peak of it. So right, to, exactly. to get, to get something that really feels like a mountainous scale, when you're looking at it from the snow plains around you, then it really has to reach, I'd say like 180 is probably yeah. like a, a, a pretty reasonable mountain size. Whereas right now, like I said, you're still 80 blocks off that with current terrain gens. So it's definitely yeah. got to look a little bit more epic, especially if it's going to tower to a peak like we've seen in the screenshots. And they want to leave people room to build on top of them too, right? Yes. Like you want to be able to build the cool thing. You want to be able to build the tower or the, 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 the observatory, you know, the telescope, whatever it is that you want to build on top of these mountains, you kind of want to be able to do that. Yeah, and that, uh, that's why I, even the, the Shattered Savannas and the Amplified Terrain preset only really tops out at about Y200, because then you still yeah. have 50 or so blocks worth of building room. You can still build yeah. a, a decent-sized mansion on top of an Amplified Cliff if you'd like to. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like the idea of them going into the negative numbers, like the Y negative numbers. Yeah. Uh, I know that, it, like you mentioned earlier, it would affect the chunk load and like the number of blocks to be considered and things like that. Um, but I, I kind of wonder, to, to address the, the point about new players, uh, we already have to find uh, strongholds to get to the end. You know, you have to get enough obsidian and make a portal to get to the nether. I'm kind of wondering whether instead of a dimensional shift, it could just be a physical, there's bedrock there already, but if they introduced holes in the bedrock where they're not everywhere, you can't make them yourselves. You have to seek them out. Uh, and then that is your doorway into the deep dark. And then all of the deep dark stuff that we saw would take place below bedrock. And um, so that eliminates the um, possibility of you running into it by accident uh, as, as a, you know, day two, like looking for iron, you know, miner. Um, that, that could be um, painful, I think, given what I saw the warden was capable of. Yeah. 
So to, to move it below ground and below bedrock would be really cool, I think, because you could then limit access to it. You could then limit escape from it. If you got lost and you're stuck down there, you have to try to find another hole yes. you know, to get back out. Like yeah, that, yeah. that could be challenging and and off-putting and scary in a good way and like all that kind of stuff that that could be really really fun and it again like it would limit the the access to it maybe in terms of uh you know what you were saying earlier i didn't think about this until just now but maybe the deep dark isn't the entire world maybe it's you find these holes and it generates into its own cave system but it has a limit similar to how a um abandoned mine shaft is not everywhere it's over several chunks but after that it's done like there's you have to go find another one they're not all connected to the, in the same kind of network and if you were going into the deep dark in that way then that would mean that yes there's going to be more blocks to consider for chunk loading but they're only going to be in this one section not the entire minecraft world yeah like i i do i do like the idea of the deep dark being accessible through the bedrock and uh, that that sort of seems like mystical enough in a way as well. Like I I really think that Bedrock has almost taken on this sort of iconic status as the unbreakable block, you know, in Minecraft. I feel like it has a certain resonance with the community at this stage that for something to be below the Bedrock really feels like significant in a way that I think the Warden and the Deep Dark deserve to be in terms of the lore of the game and in terms of the way that sort of mechanic works. So I certainly like that idea. And I think, in a way, what I want to talk about mainly with the the negatives here is what you talked about earlier, pre-existing worlds having to deal with noticeable chunk borders. Um, below the world, it would definitely be easier to hide those. And to be honest, it would not be all that difficult. I mean, logistically, I think it would be difficult to, once again, increase the amount of blocks that were being saved in a specific chunk. But I think it would not be that difficult for the game to add terrain below existing chunks and sort of break that one rule they have of like you know we don't modify terrain that players have touched already because there is no chance that anybody has built anything below the bedrock because you physically can't it's like building above the build limit there is a lower build limit as well so i think um you know in theory if you wanted to update your chunks to the caves and cliffs update terrain you could tell the game to generate a little bit of terrain underneath existing chunks and I don't know if it would want to generate those holes in the bedrock to go and find the deep dark underneath there, but you could still potentially generate some stuff underneath what players already had. In the same way that, um, I'm sure it worked a little bit differently, but nobody had really gone a thousand blocks out into the end before the 1.9 update introduced that outer ring of islands, because there simply was no reason to. Uh, you could build an ender ender out in the void after you'd beat the dragon, and that only required you to go 128 blocks from the island, so I doubt anybody went any further unless they were doing some sort of creative spaceship build, right? But then, right. you know, a thousand blocks out, presumably outside of the radius anybody else has built, Mojang adds these additional islands, and that's when you get the expansion of the end happening. So if you have an expansion of the overworld that goes downwards, they can guarantee nobody's built anything further down, so it's not going to harm anybody's world if they build something underneath the world um mm -hmm. it's certainly going to avoid having a solid wall of new terrain open out into nothing uh and potentially risk players falling into the void unrecoverably um <laughs> or, or or just get weird looking chunk borders which i think just having 
having built next to a chunk border on the first multiplayer server I ever joined, because it was an older world, it had been around since about Minecraft 1.4, and the last terrain generation update that significantly changed stuff in that way was 1.7. Um, they can be very striking, they can be an interesting feature of your world, but nine times out of ten they will just be annoying. Um, and you, you had that on your server with, you know, chunk errors being, you know, present. Just a, a giant wall of terrain suddenly appears where it shouldn't be, and that stuff becomes kind of jarring. And you can turn it into a fun little lore feature for your world if you want to, but ultimately it's going to feel a little bit like it's breaking your immersion of the game. And if Oh, and, and they take forever to fix. Like yes. I, I, <laughs> I did it as a, like a way to learn some landscaping, and like taking a, a chunk that's even... 20 or 30 blocks higher than something else as a big like skyscraper vertical 16 by 16 chunk and trying to turn it into something that looks remotely like a hill or a mountain woof oh like, yeah just, no i, I have uh, more stone than i know what to do with now but I, it was a lot of work i had some chunk errors on the first iteration of my patron server uh back in i think 2016 i guess it would have been um and I, I, I sort of, again, took it as a bit of a learning experience, and I turned one of them into a statue of Master Yoda. And you can do cool stuff like that with them if you want to. Uh, but yeah. I, I think it's just like, yeah, it, otherwise it's just irritating and it breaks your immersion with the world. And if sea level rises, even by just a few blocks, the ocean suddenly develops a jigsaw-like cliff in the water. And cool though you might imagine that looking with water sort of like pouring into a basin of sorts, the jigsaw aspect of it cannot be overstated you know any chunks that you haven't already loaded you know regardless of whether you've been near them or not it's going to look like giant areas of you know the, of, of water that haven't updated yet as well that's the, the biggest problem with it really is that you have to have a block update for water to flow it's like occasionally when you'll run into say like a river that terrain generation has placed a ravine next to and you end up with a whole wall of water from the river being cut off by a ravine, but the water isn't flowing down into the ravine because it needs a block update before it will do that. And so that ends up with like a really odd-looking intersection between, you know, something that shouldn't be physically possible is the water yeah. just stopping at the edge of a block instead of flowing downward. And you'd get that everywhere around your world if you moved sea level up by a few blocks, much less, you know, the 16 blocks I was proposing earlier. Um, so existing worlds are just going to look screwed up for a long time if you do that. And I imagine a lot of people will be quite keen on resetting their worlds, but there will inevitably be people who aren't because their world has been around for 10 years, you know, for as long as they've mm. been playing Minecraft. Mm -hmm. There are people who, who hang on to these legacy worlds and they should because, you know, it's a great source of nostalgia and pride and, you know, it's been with them since the beginning of this experience that they treasure. I don't think that should be expected to just be discarded because of a change in terrain generation so i think it's going to be difficult for a lot of people to uh to manage if they end up making that decision and i'm not entirely certain that they will having dug up the amount of terrain that i have to make this dripstone cave i'm still fairly convinced that they can make some pretty epic terrain generation underneath the level that the world currently exists because there are actually very few biomes that are dead on at sea level so even when you're yes. walking around a plains biome, you're still probably walking around around Y68, 70 kind of thing. And then you get into, say, like a forest hills, it goes up to more like Y80. You get into the mountains, you're at Y100. You've still got 100 blocks worth of range there that is still going to provide some really interesting cave generation. And 
I have a feeling that in Minecraft Live they have simulated that footage, that the caves are not necessarily going to be as deep as that unless you start in a really expansive, high-terrain biome. Um, but I think it's just that the feeling can be there. And the feeling can be there in a cave that's 30 or 40 blocks high, which is nowhere near, you know, terrain level, typically. You know, you've still got another 20 blocks or so. I think layering those caves together is really what's going to be the interesting part, is that if it leaves room for you to not just dig three blocks down and you're immediately in a massive cavern and you think, how is the ground not caved in already? Um, yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they choose to do with that. I think, too, that um, in, in a way that, like, they have, uh, what what's the new tree type? Um, uh, azalea. Azalea tree. So the azalea tree is a surface marker for uh, the the lush caves mm -hmm. uh, for, for players to find and then look underneath. I wonder if there will be also uh, landscape markers, like things like, oh, it's a mountain biome. That means that there's a better chance of an expansive cave underneath it. Or uh, if in the new Caves and Cliffs update, if we get better terrain generation along ocean edges where it's not this gradual slope down to Y63, but instead it could go from Y63 to Y, you know, 100 or Y80 with a vertical cliff. Because I mean, you and I both live in coastal, you know, areas yeah. of the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not always a, a, a gentle slope down to the ocean. And if, and if you have that, well, then your plains biome that happens to border an ocean starts at Y80, giving you plenty of room for all kinds of stuff happening underneath it because you're in um, this area that just has an amplified kind of like cliff next to the ocean. I don't know. Obviously, none of us do in terms of how that's going to be possible. Um, Wilder in our live chat mentioned something a few minutes ago, which I thought was interesting, um, tying the bioluminescence idea that we had about the, um, the uh, firefly squid to deep oceans what if deep oceans kind of marked specific areas for the deep dark in in the same way that you know the uh azalea trees mark lush caves you know so you've got landmarks uh in terms of biomes that give you hints as to where to look for when things get deep go deeper when things are high you have more room you know underneath them um it's i it's going to be really interesting as snapshots start to eventually come out for the caves and cliffs update and we get a chance to see what and how these things are actually forming yeah i think that's that's really the main thing i'm thinking about right now is just waiting to see what mojang thinks of any of this because obviously they've opened up a huge amount of player speculation in the last little while and a lot of enthusiasm for it finally being a cave update and everybody has their own pet theories about how this is going to work personally i have mine but it's going to be interesting to see what their vision of it was and how the two can meet. They've talked about making this update one in close collaboration with the community of players and really delivering what players expect from this. Player expectations are pretty high, I've got to say. Like, players of this game demand a lot from it and don't necessarily always consider the ramifications of what they're asking. But I think mm -hmm. I, I have trust in Mojang to deliver something pretty special at this point, so... We'll, we'll see how it goes. I think that's probably where we're going to wrap up today's discussion, though. And if you guys want to weigh in, of course, once again, the email for emailing into the show is spawnchunkmail 
at gmail.com. So let us know what you think Mojang could do regarding terrain in the Caves and Cliffs update to really deliver what they have shown us so far at Minecraft Live. Uh, but that is going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, gets you access to the render distance, as we mentioned earlier on, the extended version of the podcast, and it also gets us closer to our goals of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout added to our calendar, where every month we'd sit down with our patrons and just chat about what we've all been doing in Minecraft that month. We're currently at 213 patrons, which is down from last week, but no worries, still plenty of room for anybody who wants to join. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, Dilkin7, General Pattern82, Greener Canuck, JD Williamson, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Poke a friend in the arm from a responsible distance, maybe with like a finger on the end of a stick or something funny, uh, and tell them that they should listen to The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to find it. You can email the show once again at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes google podcasts stitcher spotify youtube and now amazon music podcast reviews leaving a podcast review is the best way to share the show with strangers people looking for minecraft on their favorite podcast platform and they can't find a show that they like the higher that we are reviewed the greater uh, that we will appear in those lists uh, if you want to listen to the render distance it is on the patreon page for the extended version of the podcast and of course the regular rss feed is at the my name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. My Minecraft RTX survival series will also be kicking off later this week, so don't miss it. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide, and I'm currently at 4,600 ancient debris towards the 5,900 or so I need for a netherite beacon. Uh, I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap as well. You can find that through a quick YouTube search. And aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in working with me, then just drop me a line through the site. You'll also find a link to the citadelcafe.com, which is my other podcast where I talk about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. This week, I'll be talking about Borderlands 3 with my good buddy, Brockett. You can also find me at joelduggan on social media. I am very easy to find. And over on twitch.tv slash joelduggan, where I've been playing Borderlands 3 and building Lego live on Twitch. Come hang out. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but there ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, and ain't no river wide enough.